I'm Mariangela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ plus and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community, where we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. The goal of this space is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated or alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. My guest today, I'm so excited, is Norman J. Liverpool the Fourth, who uses he, him pronouns. He is an entrepreneur, a speaker, a dedicated professional with a passion for spreading awareness for the LGBTQ plus community and the issues that the community faces. The Norman is a creator of a signature mentorship and coaching program designed for the LGBTQ plus community called Over the Top Living. It explores the challenges of coming to terms with who you are and living your best life now. It equips its members with the tools, products, and services needed to live unashamed and unapologetic lives by finding your voice, choosing your impact, and owning your story. He regularly speaks on topics concerning family dynamics, self-acceptance, self-encouragement, and life as a gay Black man. And in doing so, it is his hope that he can transform as many lives as possible by helping others to always live and love freely in purpose, on purpose, by finding your voice, choosing your impact, and sharing your story. And you know that I'm all about sharing stories. So welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I think I feel like the universe definitely made sure that we cross paths on social media for a reason. Definitely. um, Well, first of all, I like to check in with everybody at the beginning of these because we're in strange times. You know, there's a lot happening in the world. Lots has changed. How are you today? How are you right now? Today and right now, I'm exceptionally well, Um, which is not the case every day. Um, today, that's the case, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> good, good. You know, are you, everyone is is going through so many things as far as work, and, you know, we're in a racial pandemic, we are in a viral pandemic, we have all of these things happening. Are you, you know, and you help a lot of people who are still trying to find themselves and find their voices, but if you're anything like I think you are, you know that you can't give fully to someone unless you give to yourself. So how are you taking care of yourself right now? I mean, are you, I know you live in Vegas, so the sun is probably out and um, you share a lot of incredibly amazing gay black joy on your, on your social media. And I live in it. I'm like, there's a boat, there's a nice car. I'm here for all of it. So, but how are you practicing self-care? So I practice self-care by really listening to and honoring my body um, number one. So I typically wake up between four and five every morning. Um, lately my body has not agreed with that. 
Um, and I've required more rest than I normally do because I feel like with everything that's going on, I feel like we're using more of our intellectual capacity, more of our emotional capacity. And so one of the things I'm doing is taking time and just honoring exactly what my body is telling me it needs. So if I need to rest, I rest. If I feel like I need to get up and do some exercise, I, I do that. And one of the people I follow on, on Facebook, um, said something really dynamic yesterday and it's talk he was talking about the difference between setting an expectation and setting an intention set an intention if we don't necessarily fully live up to that we don't beat ourselves up and so i'm starting to live my life more intentionally um and not doing the things that don't interest me isn't that amazing how that works so many of us do things because we think society wants us to, or that we have to hit these goals and we have to do this. And we're not doing things intentionally authentic for ourselves. And I find too, that when we do things in an, in an authentic manner, and, and it's really coming from a place of self and a place of purity, um, all of the rest of that stuff will come. And I even noticed a huge shift in my business because at first, you know, it is a business we're thinking about monetizing and things like that. And it's very easy to lose focus of to what the actual goal is. And so when you take a moment and pivot and refocus um, and really pursue your passion, all of the rest is going to come. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people think that, oh, I have to be doing A, B, C, and D, and I have to be doing these things in order to reach my goals and my dreams. And I think something that this quarantine has done for so many of us is forced us to slow down long enough to listen to ourselves. And it's been monumental for me. I know I was that overgiver, overachiever, over lover, over all the things. And it, I was, but, it, and which is great unless you're not doing it for yourself. And then it's like, what are you actually giving? And not only that, not, but for me, when I operate like that, I end up resenting the people that I'm supposed to be helping. Um, because it's not coming from a place of actually desiring to help them. It's coming from a, a place of obligation. And so then I end up resenting them. And so then what happens is we do this weird exchange of energy where I'm putting onto them the obligation and they're giving back to me the feeling like, well, I didn't ask you to do, you know, and it's a really tug of war. So that is something I'm learning that is my Capricorn tendency okay. of, of, I'm going to be the best I can be for everyone. I'm going to give you all the things, but that's where my line is now for everyone. And not everyone gives that way. And then I feel like you said, resentful, or I feel like they don't love me enough. They're not giving me what I give them. And in reality, we're just, it's a, it's usually an old wound an old trauma, something else that's coming up. That's causing us to need to give and be that special place for everyone. I love that. What sign are you, by the way, I've been dying to ask you. I'm a Gemini. Are you? And what's your rising and moon? So I actually just found out all of this. Um, my rising is in Pisces, I think. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm new to all of this. Uh, I have a new friend in my life who is very big on this and is really helping me to see the bigger picture um, but something you said reminded me of something I, I, um, I, I watched on, on Oprah Winfrey Network. 
And T.D. Jakes was on there. And, you know, I definitely don't identify as, like, a super religious person. Um, but I definitely am in tune with my spirit. And T.D. Jakes was saying, like, we get so mad, you know, because people don't love us or give us the way that we feel we need. And so he likened it to one person being a one-gallon person and another person being a 10-gallon person. One-gallon person could physically and emotionally be giving everything they have. But to a 10-gallon person, it's like they're not giving anything. But on the flip side, the one-gallon person is like, I'm literally giving everything in me. And I think it's really important to realize what type of person you, you're dealing with and what type of person you are. Because I know that I over, over, over give. And so if I'm dealing with someone who is a one-gallon person, it's extremely overwhelming for them um, because I will meet and exceed like in 2.2 seconds. <laughs> so it's really important to make sure that we're that we're understanding how many gallons we're working with when we're talking about pouring out and, to, and also receiving. I love that analogy. It's so real because so many of us are, you know, and, and I'm learning that so much of it is unpacking, but, you know, you give those gallons for a reason. And my therapist, bless her heart, she's making her money. Okay. Um, she's, you know, she has told me what, what are, when you're giving, what are you getting back that you can't get, give to yourself? Like, what in those moments can you teach yourself rather than having to have that validation and self-soothing? And it's like, Oh, that's, that's hard <laughs> and that's work and it's important. But I also, th I think going on to that is people like you and I, um, we are built a certain type of way and which is why it's very important that people like us have coaches, have therapists, have, you know, systems in place because we empathize, we, we are correct, we course correct, we, we do all of these things because it's literally built into who we are as a person. And then what we do is we begin to equate my fixing, my doing, my busy, my all of that with actually being productive. And it's really not. And so what I've realized is sometimes I'm so much more productive when I'm not busy um, <laughs> because I, I'm actually focusing on something with passion. When you're giving when you're doing those things, you're right. You feel like, look at all these things I did today. But in reality, wow, like yesterday I went and found a waterfall and went on a hike and laid on the earth and looked at the stars. And that felt so much more productive for my soul yesterday than, you know, hitting my writing goals all week. No. And, and, and I think that one thing that this quarantine or, you know, pandemics shelter in place, has taught me is success looks very different um, to me now. Um, because going into 2020, my goal was to quit my full-time job in June. And so I had been gearing up for that. And then all of this happened and it was like, well, you know, I'm gonna hold on to my part-time, I mean, my full-time job just for a little bit longer um, because everything changed. And with everything changed, I needed to have that remain constant and consistent. Um, but it's definitely told me that listening to my heart, listening to my feelings, um, 
doing new things. Um, like I went swimming in like a river, which I've never done uh, this past weekend. I drove, um, and what I'm learning is growth is really in the new thing. Um, growth is really in the things that we have tried to talk ourselves out of, the things that we don't feel that we're deserving of. You know, for me to take a moment away from work and go out on a boat with my best friends like that, that was very challenging for me because I'm not used to being disconnected. And so that taught me uh, that it's okay to disconnect some time and to be really, to be in a position where you're forced to be present. <laughs> you're forced to be present and really take in the beauty of nature, the beauty of community and connection. I love that. And I think you're speaking to so many of us who have been forced to disconnect or are learning the value in unplugging for a few days. It's something that I, you know, we both are very heavily social media reliant as far as our businesses. Right. And I've recently been unplugging every weekend and it is magic. It's magic. And it's so important. It's like, oh, this world doesn't need to know every move that I make and it's okay. It's, but at the same time, I do want to share my joy. Yeah. And I think too, it's, it's also about, for me, it's about visibility. And because when I was growing up, um, I didn't have someone who looked like me, who sounded like me, who thought like me, who like just, I didn't, I didn't feel represent, represented at all. Um, and it was uh, my friend Todd uh, Kane, who's an author in Phoenix. And he said, it's like condemnation without representation. And, um, and that, I mean, we can go on a whole other thing with that, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, I stand in awe at the transition that I've seen, that I see people make. Um, in this quarantine. And for me, the visibility was more so just be being vulnerable because I think as a business owner, um, especially doing the work that I do, it's very important to obviously to show the work, to show the progress, to show the motivational side. But what I found is I actually connect with more people on social media when I'm like, I'm having a shitty day today and I'm so happy to be able to share that with you because being able to vent and sh and share that is helping me. Or, you know, when I'm, I'm posting like the real life stuff, like I recently went through a divorce and kept it very, very quiet for uh, a while until it was actually finalized. And so then when I put, you know, I'm divorced and all of this stuff, um, I've noticed like people have been really receptive and, oh my God, I never would have known. And like, oh my, like, how do you do this? And so for me, it's just about being visible. I want someone, I want everyone to see a queer person of color, black, gay male, um, living loud, live and in color in, a mo in the most authentic way. Yes, 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 yes. yes. That was my standing ovation, but we're on a podcast. So all of that. Well, you hit a little bit on it and I would love to dig a little deeper. You know, you help people, you know, your tagline, especially recently is, you know, let me help you find your voice, especially these younger queer millennials, you know, with, with a voice or not sure of their direction. This had to have come somewhere from somewhere with you. Tell me a little bit about who young Norman the, you know, Liverpool, the fourth was, and what made you want to do this? 
So I get emotional every time I talk about it um, because this is, I never would have chosen this for myself. Um, I never in a million years thought that I would be coaching people and mentoring people to unlock their unicorn power, unleash their voice and, and all of this. But to go back to your original question, so I was always super energetic, um, super creative. I was singing ever since I was young. I was involved in the arts. I was, you know, I wrote, um, I acted, I danced, I played instruments. Um, and so I was always looking for a creative outlet. And for me, what was the pivotal point in my story was bullying. And I say that, and I'm going to caveat that by explaining exactly what I mean. So as I've done the work on myself, I've realized that bullying takes form in many different ways. It's not the person at school that's beating you up for your lunch money all the time necessarily. Sometimes it starts at home. And what was very unique about my situation is, and when I say at home, because I know my, my parents are going to listen to this, I don't necessarily mean within my immediate home, but what I mean, and, and, and sometimes I do, I mean by home is just my family. So it could have been something as simple as, oh my God, Norman, he, he acts so soft or he so this and so that. Then you couple that with going to school um, in a predominantly white suburb of, of Chicago. And so now you are double trouble. You know, you're black, you're different um, in terms of the way that the other boys kind of act and, and, and deal. And so... I just was trying to get through. And so I was always looking for a creative way to manifest what I'm feeling on the inside. And I struggled for a long time because I didn't really know what gay was, but I was already being pegged as a gay person. So it was confusing to me as to how people outside of me knew something about me that I couldn't verbalize. And so I say all that to say is I spent many years with my wheels turning. The purpose of over-the-top living is to shorten the distance from A to Z. You know, I always tell people, I said, the past was my learning experience. The present is how I coach you around those things. And the future is how you apply them. So essentially, I just wanted those 10 or 15 years that I kind of was going in a circle and then kind of from one extreme to the next, I wanted to provide a platform where other millennials could connect with me and bypass some of those mistakes and, and be able to unleash the unicorn power, choose the impact they want to make, figure out who the hell they're, they're meant to be talking to, and then talking to them. Um, because I didn't have anyone that was talking to me. I had people that were talking at me. I had people that were condemning me, shunning me, telling me I was going to hell, all of these things. And so this was really birthed out of me aligning myself with a coach. And she challenged me. Shout out to Chandra Brooks. She challenged me. She said, who needs to hear what you've been through? And as I worked with her and I began to refine 
my audience, it just made sense that my audience was an LGBTQ millennial because that is something that I am and something that I have experience in. And I know that if I didn't have the person to look up to that a lot of other people don't. And so why not just use me as like the, the tester and I've went through it all. So now I'm just going to make it easier for you. I love that. And you know, there's that quote that says, be the person you needed when you were younger. Yeah. That's what you're doing. And you want to know what, what's most beautiful about that is not only am I able to be who I needed to be for my younger self, but I'm connecting with so many people who did not even know that they needed what I'm offering. Um, And it's like, you don't know what you need until I show you why you need this. And the beauty in being able to work with so many different people who were just content with hiding their story, muting their story, or just not sharing it at all. And what we found is a majority of the time, people don't want you to share your story because they don't want to own up to their villainism in your story. They don't want people to see the crazy, horrible stuff that they did to you. So it's easier to sweep it under the rug and not deal with it. Um, and, and it's amazing to see people come into their own. I think that you're you're doing such a great service, like you said, for young people. But I think you're also doing such a great service for yourself. I think that in the, in the midst of this, in the midst of helping people, you're also, you know, it creates such a level of confidence and self-love. And it's like such a, I find personally people are like, oh, what you do is really hard. It's really vulnerable. And I'm like, what you don't see is I get just as much out of this as the people I help. It helps me grow so much. And I'm see, I see that in you because that little kid that was so bullied is now like, you know, we're changing, we're changing the cycle for ourselves. And I think for me, I posted on Facebook actually this morning that confidence has opened doors that my resume never could. And it wasn't until that, and even in my professional career, because I get people who are like, well, Norman, I'm not meant to be a speaker. I'm not meant to be an author. I just want to do my part. And, and, and for some people, that's fine. But understand that confidence transcends your job title. You don't have to be a speaker or an author or a coach to have confidence. You could be a property manager and have confidence. You can be a retail clerk and have that confidence and still allow yourself to live an on, a, a, a unapologetic and unashamed life that's authentic. And I think a lot of times is we're scared of what that confidence will look like. I was terrified when I put myself out there and started speaking at colleges. And because I'm like, oh my God, this is only gonna do but grow. And I'm scared of growth because it's like growing pain. Like when you're little, it hurts and you're stretched. And, and But what I found is the more I do it, the more people I talk to, the more I share my story, that confidence begins to operate on the next level. And so I don't even think about it anymore. That's so good. And I think that it sounds like you've got a great um, definition between, cause I, I, I know in, in my speaking kind of stuff, I've had imposter syndrome a lot and there's a lot of people that don't know the, how to straddle that line of confidence and ego. 
And I think that humility side is so important. And I think when you help people um, and realize that we're all still growing, it's so important. And I, I've enjoyed watching the content that I've seen so far of you being able to balance that really well, because not everybody does that in this industry is what I'm learning. And it's kind of disappointing to me, honestly, when I see somebody that lets their ego kind of fill the space a little too much and it no longer looks like confidence. And I think for me, even on my show that I have on Wednesdays, I don't even display my picture. Um, My name is on there, but I am just the facilitator. I am the moderator of this conversation. And I think what keeps me humble is connecting with people like you, whom I've never met in person, but we have this commonality. You know, I recently met someone on social media and now we've launched a book club together. And it's just been amazing to see all of these different connections come together um, and and formulate, but it's all about humility for me. It's not about Norman. What I, I do recognize that I have a gift to encourage, to motivate, and to, to bring things out of people, but that's it. You know, the story is you sharing your story. I'm just the, the facilitator. And so I think when you go into it, knowing that it's about others, it's not about self, it's about others and empowering others because people like you and we have our platform, right? You have your, your show and your projects. I have, you know, the things that I'm working on. And so the purpose of those is to give someone else the platform to use what we've already established to share their story. It's not about me. It's about the client reaching the goal that he's been putting off for two years. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's about for me. I love that. I, I know that I know that my life kind of shifted during this pandemic and, you know, speaking events that I had planned through the summer were all canceled. Um, my second TEDx talk was postponed till next year, like all of these things that I was so excited about. But I've seen a magical shift happen with, you know, companies, organizations, colleges, um, events pivot to being virtual. How how are you adjusting? How has your work been affected, if any, um, or if at all? But, you know, it, it's also creating a different level of access for people, which I love, you know, because people, people that don't like to go outside, people that don't like crowds, people that want to stay home, there's a, we're catering to those people now, which I find brilliant. So for me, as a Gemini and just an extrovert in general, this has definitely been challenging for me because I am a very much a people person. And so I thrive on interaction. Even in my full-time job, I, I'm dealing with the public I'm customer facing. And when that went away, I got very depressed. And it, it, it was just the, 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 the timing of it all was just all crazy for me. Um, but what I do appreciate about this is like you said, access. So for example, I was supposed to do a keynote speech at the college of Southern Nevada, but in lieu of that, I was able to do a virtual presentation that was uploaded to YouTube and reached more people than just the people at CSN. Um, I have clients that I have physically never met. Like it, it, it blows my mind that these people 
well, no, I shouldn't say it blows my mind. It, I'm, I'm grateful, I should say, that these people view me and they see me and they connect with me and want to work with me and not even shared space with me. Um, so that part has been okay, you know, the virtual. But on the flip side, I'll be honest, I feel like it also has made us, made us make the excuses of, again, being busy. How many Zoom meetings can we do in a day? Um, so now we're doing Zoom, FaceTime, texting. Um, even I, you know, even my employer, you know, I'm getting texts like at 6.30 in the morning and things like that because we're, no one is on a regular schedule anymore. And so I feel like access can be a double-edged sword sometimes because yes, I'm, I have the ability to access more people but on the flip side, more people now have the ability to access me at whatever time they may feel is convenient for them. And so that's why, like what you were mentioning earlier about taking the time on the weekends, it's really important to find those times because when you're on, you're on. Yeah, having the weird schedule thing is really real. And that has created a lot of a weird pivot in people to kind of, I've gotten calls and, you know, I'm a morning person like you. Well, let's make it clear. I'm a morning and a person and a night owl, which means the math doesn't work. I know, but it still happens. And so the mornings are my favorite time, but I have, but it's also my time to be quiet, to drink my coffee, to listen to the city wake up. And I've had people like blow up my phone at 6, 7 a.m. And I'm like, what? Well, hold on, what's happening? What time is it? But you're right. Like, I think that it's just creating more of a need for us to create boundaries for ourselves. And yeah. that's important. And, and the thing about it is, is the, a lot of times we, and this is one of the, the things I work on with my clients is we perceive boundaries as a, um, something that we put around a person. So, like I, you know, like we have boundaries with people, like you can't say this to me or you cannot treat me this way. But what I've also found that it's important to create boundaries um, around our past, around our past experiences, around lessons that we didn't learn that negatively affected us. So for me, I'm used to always being available because I was taught to always be available. If someone calls or texts, like even since we've been talking here, you know, my phone is going off and it's really nice to just like not pay attention to it because we're taught to be always available. So I had to create a boundary with that past lesson that I was taught, whether that be subconscious or, you know, conscious, that I do not have to be available for anyone at any time except for myself. And I set up office hours for the people in my life. Like, for example, I, I have another side business that I co-own with someone. And he knows that Friday is the day that he gets. If he doesn't communicate with me on Fridays about whatever we've got going on, then I table it until the next week. Um, and it's important that everyone knows what these, these office hours, so to speak, are. You know, I get off of work at five. I'm available for work-related things till about 6.30. I'm available to my clients till about eight. And after that, it's at my discretion. And so 
if you don't get your response, know that I'm taking me time and I'll get back to you when I'm able to hold the space for you. And, and especially when you know that people are like emotionally draining or that certain people take more energy, I will, I, I have people like that in my life where I physically have to mentally prepare to have a dialogue with someone. And so if I'm relaxed and I've just had my tea, I'm not trying to entertain that, <laughs> you know? And so it's all about creating, creating boundaries, but also enforcing those boundaries too. You know, if I tell you I'm not available after six, but yet you're calling me at 7.30 or eight and I'm still making myself available, I'm now giving you permission for you to run amok in my schedule anytime you see fit. Yeah, I am. Um, I, it's so funny that you say that because I think those are things that people like you and I have to work on. Um, I was just literally at the beginning of our talk, I saw a text come in and I was like, no, I need to turn my phone over so I don't even see it and just not have this time right now. Um, and I think that, that that's a constant journey for all of us that have big goals and that hustle and that have all of these side projects and jobs. We want to keep going. We want to, I'm, I'm dying to see the rest of your chart because there's got to be some earth in there that's this hustler. In I'm going to send it to you when I get done. We'll do it and then we'll get Trey on the phone and we'll have a whole conversation about astrology. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I want, to, I want you to explain a little bit for our listeners what you do for people. Your average conversation with a client or somebody new that wants to help their life. I would love for you to explain like that dynamic, because I think what you do is very special. Well, thank you. So uh, I'm going to say this, and my coach is really working with me on this to make sure that I am very intentional about identifying my audience. <laughs> and so you've even noticed if, if you go back, I don't know if we were friends on Facebook then, but I have really queered my content um, so that there's no question as to who my ideal client is. So my ideal client is an LGBTQ plus millennial. Um, that is who I am here to work with. And I will say, if you're not that, I can definitely refer you to people, um, but that is who I work with. And so the premise of my, my platform is kind of multifaceted. I offer a five-week mentorship program, which is called Evolve. That is a five-week intensive where we do some really heavy work um, in a group setting and virtually, obviously, at this point. And we really go into why we are scared to share our story. What happened in our story that we're trying to quickly turn the pages over? So in Evolve, the, the premise is to find your voice, choose your impact, and share your story. I, another part of Over the Top Living is I have a Facebook Live broadcast every Wednesday, and it's called What's the LGBT? And we highlight different things in our community. So last week, I did, we did an episode on people living with HIV. Um, the week before that, we lived, uh, we lived, we talked about um, body image and the, the toxic, uh, the toxicity of our image illusion. The week before that, I had a group of parents of LGBTQ people, and it was important for me to show the parents because these parents are the parents of the millennials, and so it's important to understand what that process looked like for them. 
So we do, we have ladies night this Wednesday. So we're doing the L word. So I just like to include various aspects of our community um, and allow different people to share their stories on my platform. And then my coaching. So I do, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and that is completely customizable. So I have one client right now who literally had, knows what they're wanting to do, but they just need someone to hold them accountable step-by-step. I have another client who's like, I'm good at all of these types of things, but I don't know who my audience is. I don't know what to, where to start. I don't know what to do. So with working with me on the one-on-one, -on -one, the premises are you'll unleash your unicorn power, stand out and shine, uh, you'll own your story, and then you will walk in next level confidence. And so those are the four promises that I make to my clients with working on me one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and I also do hot seat coaching, um, which is if someone doesn't want to commit to the five-week program or commit to working with me monthly, they can book me for a two-hour session. And we will just strategize and, and brainstorm enough for where they feel comfortable to take the next steps. Um, so I just am making myself available to serve the LGBTQ plus community in whatever capacity that looks like. So whether that be coaching, whether that be my speaking engagements, whether that be uh, hosting webinars, lunch and learns, whatever that is, um, we're, I'm doing it. Such an impressive level of work, but also it has to be very satisfying. Like I'm just excited to hear um, someone that is creating different spaces based on the needs of people. Cause you know, not everybody is going to want to do a group, you know, five week program. Not everybody's going to want to do a one-on-one. -on -one. And so it sounds like you've created quite the umbrella of options for people. Right. There's more than one way to work with me. You know, I have one client who it's almost impossible to get on the phone. And so we have a, a, a chat on Facebook messenger and that's where we do our work. And it's almost in real time. And so I get it. We are all busy. We're also not always feeling like talking to people. But to know that my clients can have access to me, that's what's important. <clears throat> and so I'm even going to branch out again because I, we're recognizing that there's another need um, as it relates to millennials dealing with we're shifting now into a different phase in life where our parents are becoming older. Um, a lot of the family dynamics are changing. And for a lot of LGBTQ people, that is a very difficult thing because a lot of our parents pushed us away, shunned us, told us that. And so now to be put in a position where we're now caring for them or having to do so now, you know, there's another, there's, it just, it seems like there's always, it always is, is evolving on what we're being able to offer, which is why I'm really excited that we're growing so quickly. Um, and it was not my intention. Like when I started Over the Top Living, I just thought like it was going to be me doing Facebook Lives. I mean, to be completely honest. And as people began to connect with me and and was like, well, how do you do this? And like, even my, my one of my first clients was like, well, what is your consulting fee? And I was like, well, I don't know. Um, your feet, your feet. <laughs> right. Um, and, but it, it just, it never in my wildest dreams would have turned into this, like what it is today, like ever. 
I love that. Those are the, those are probably my favorite stories because it shows, I don't know if you've heard, and this is something that I've talked about a few times at a few events of post-traumatic growth. But so let me, you haven't heard of this, Norman. Okay. I did my first speech ever uh, over three years ago. And I was kind of weaseled into it by a friend who was like, I was in your project. Now you have to speak at my event. And I was like, oh, I'm not a speaker. I'm not actually going to do that. And he said, it'll be 15 minutes. Just talk about your project. It'll be fine. And I talked about how at the beginning of this project, I was not a photographer. I was a trained producer. I had an old camera in my closet, picked it up. People wanted to share their story when they saw my self-portrait. And so I trained myself. I took an online class and I became a professional photographer. I learned to edit. I learned to do social media. I learned, I taught myself all this. And in this talk, I, I discussed all of that. I got off stage and a man who's a doctor who spoke before me and was brilliant came up to me and he said, so what you described is a thing. You have a thing. It's, it's scientific. And I was like, sorry. And he said, it's called post-traumatic growth, similar to post-traumatic stress, but it's the other side. It's the psychological, the bodies and Google this later, the body psychological ability to change our trauma, to create a positive experience, to teach ourselves to essentially become better and more intelligent than we were before our trauma. And most motivational speakers, um, influencers, even like people like Oprah, people that have had traumatic childhoods have taken that trauma redirected it to make themselves stronger, more powerful, more intelligent humans. I was stunned. I was like, he goes, you took your trauma of your brother's suicide, of your own suicide, and you wanted to better yourself to create this space for other people. So when I learned about this, I was like, I saw the entire world differently because I was like, so many of us, but you know, medical, the, the, the world doesn't want us to know about this because it's easier to get your medication and to get your therapist and to get all of these things that creates a need for other people. When in reality, we have this strength, this ability, granted, there's a lot of opportunity. You know, we've got to look at the opportunities and privileges that we have as well, but the ability to harness something psychologically is fascinating to me. Fascinating. You just, I'm mind blown because the thing about it is, is it's so crazy that you know a thing, but you don't know that there's a name for it. Exactly what I thought when he came up to me, I was like, what do you mean it's a thing? Like, and then when I Googled it, my mind was blown all over again. I got lost in a sea of articles. And I was like, I taught myself to be a photographer within two years to, to be totally self-sufficient. I was somebody who lived for the people in my life before that. I did everything for them. And if you, even if you would look at my social media five years ago, it was all my partners, my primary partner's music, my daughter's dance. I, I was passionate about their passions. And then when I redirected it and started to kind of teach myself, I was like, Hold your on. story really reminds me of my sister. So my sister, she lives here in Vegas also. And our dynamic is really special because we both identify as gay. And over this pandemic, 
she, I mean, she had already kind of dabbled in like some screen printing and some apparel stuff, but she was like, I see a need for making masks. So she invested and got a sewing machine and taught herself how to sew. Then she got a screen printing machine and she's like, well, I'm going to make designs on these masks and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to do that. And then she said, well, now I need a heat press and I need this. And so literally over the course of this pandemic, she has created and is now operating a fully functional apparel company here in Las Vegas, um, shipping all over the country. Um, in fact, I can also say internationally because she actually just shipped some to Scotland. But the fact that, and, and I, I recognize that what you're saying in her because it's such a sense of pride because she, before this, did not know any of this. Now she's like literally designing stuff. I have some stuff here that she just printed for me. And I, I find that fascinating. I'm so inspired by it when I see it in other people now because I see them and you know, there's something really not fascinating about people's trauma because I don't want to say it that way, but when it, we talk about our trauma and our tests and our trials outside of our heads and I hear someone else tell me what they've gone through, I want to just look at them and grab their shoulders and say, oh, look at what you just went through and survived and look at how amazing you are right now. Like how you celebrate. That was the first thing my therapist told me seven years ago when I met her after I unpacked, she said, have you ever celebrated what you've accomplished, what you've gone through and survived? We don't, we don't take the time to do that. And now when I see someone, I'm like, look at what you, like I look at you and I'm like, look at what you survived and look at where you are now and what you've, what you've built. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It, and it's so, it's so humbling because it's, again, it's not something that I ever chose. You know, like, you know, some people will choose to be like a hairstylist or choose to be, you know, I just was being Norman and in me being my authentic self, this was born out of that. And so it's a very different thing for me because I'm learning as I grow. And that's the fun part is each time, like in this beginning, is all is a bunch of firsts, you know? And that's the part that I look back and I'm like, dang, I remember my first and this. And so it's really, it's a beautiful thing because it was, it's almost like I was pregnant and didn't know it. And then now I have this baby that I'm just like in love with. I love that analogy. What a great analogy. I really could talk to you for hours, I feel like. And I feel like this will probably do that offline for sure, um, now that we're friends. Um, but I want to get to my closing lightning round questions. Let's do it. And then after that, we will um, tell people where to find you online and all okay. about how to get your services. First, you know, James Lipton I'm, was one of my favorite celebrity interviewers. And so I had to have my own questions like he had. Um, what is your favorite swear word? Fuck. Yeah, that's like 95% of the answers. Is there a certain fuck phrase or is it like all the fuck phrases? I think it's just all of them because I use it in so many different ways. Like it could be fuck or it could be what the fuck or this is some fuckery. Or, like it just like- it, I like that third one. I'm here for the other yeah. I just I just feel like it just emphasizes whatever I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I like that. 
Um, so right now, I know I'm doing a lot of listening to music for self-care. I've got a few books that I'm reading. Um, there's like two Disney movies that I put on if I'm really sad. What do you, are you, are there any go-to things right now that you're like, I'm stressed, I have to put this on or read this or listen to this? So music is therapeutic for me anyway. I just got a record player and like, I'm obsessed with vinyls. Um, but for me, what is therapeutic for me is reading and writing. And so right now I'm reading a book um, called Hide and Seek, There's No Truth in Fear. I highly recommend this book. Um, the author's name is Todd Kane. And in this book, he talks about his journey. It starts from him, his life around five years old to about 50. Um, this man was uh, married, had children to find out he is, was, you know, gay. Um, and then recently, you know, last week he spoke uh, on my show about also the component of being HIV positive. So this book is incredible. And we're actually doing, we're starting a book club on it this week because I started reading it and I'm like, this book is too good for me to keep to myself. So I reached out to the author. We became friends on Facebook and now we're doing a book club. So I highly recommend um, Hide and Seek, There's No Truth in Fear. And then for me, just journaling, just writing down and being very honest with how I'm feeling. Today, I fucking don't want to get up, but I'm going to anyway. You know, that kind of thing and being brutally honest. Yeah, I think journaling, I think all of that is very therapeutic. And vinyl, I, I have a record player recently too, and I've been collecting vinyl, so we'll have to talk about vinyl. Oh yeah, I love I it. I love that. Um, okay, I want you to name two or three, no pressure, influential people who've inspired you to be who you are today, but they cannot be white, straight, cis men because we have enough attention on them. So the first, the first person I'm going to mention is an uns, uh, unsung hero in my life who was my paternal grandmother. Um, I was so blessed to have her in my life until I was 30 years old. And uh, her name was Evelyn Strong Liverpool. And that's why I have the word strong tattooed on my arm. I can't see it. Um, because she taught me to be unapologetic. She was five foot two. She was born in Tennessee, raised in uh, East Chicago, Illinois, South Chicago, Illinois, um, and literally single-handedly took care of her entire family. She buried every sibling she ever had. She outlived them all. She outlived one of her children, uh, all of her husbands, and literally was there to tell about it. And she grew up in a time where being black wasn't beautiful. And especially if you were dark, dark skin with prominent black features. And so she wouldn't care if she was talking to the president or to the garbage man, she would cuss you out. And, 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 and it was no shame in her game. And so she taught me that. Another person um, that just off the top of my head is I'm going to say uh, RuPaul. And the reason why I say that is I know that he gets a lot of flack for a lot of different stuff. But let me just tell you like this. Never would I have ever imagined to live in a day and age where a Black man, drag queen, is on nationally syndicated 
television with a franchise in multiple countries displaying the art of drag. Okay, that like that, it just is crazy to me. Um, and then I'm gonna lastly, I'm gonna say my mother, um, because my mother has taught me that it's never too late. She got her bachelor's degree just before she turned 35. She got her PhD, I want to say five years ago. Um, and she's back in school again for something else. And so um, she has taught me that, yeah, you know, life may throw you a curveball. She didn't anticipate being divorced and a single mother and all of that, but she made it happen. So whatever she had to do, if she had to call in, you know, the aunts and the uncles and the family to kind of be the support so that she could ultimately be better, um, that's what she did. And now she's 60 years old. She's been retired for five years um, and she's living her life and doing her thing. And so she taught me just to to keep going. And it doesn't have to be at anyone else's pace. Just put one foot in front of the other. It sounds like your mom's magical by the way. She is. She is. She is like goals for me. I'm 45. And so I'm like looking up at her going, okay, not a PhD. I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> but it, but whatever that thing is, you know, for me, I'm not college graduated. I'm not college educated. Um, but I found my thing and I'm pursuing my thing. And so, you know, my mom's thing is education and learning. And so she found that and she's pursuing that. And so whether we're 40 14, 4, 44, like there never is never too late for us to do that thing. Yeah, you're so right. Okay, your last question. And this was asked to me in an interview once and it made me cry. And that's why I always ask it um, because we don't think about this all the time. If you could have lunch with your younger self, young Norman, about how old would you be? What would you tell him during that lunch? And then more importantly, what would you take him to go eat? So I would probably, ooh. Right? I would probably start with 16-year-old Norman. And the reason being is because at that time I had a car and I could I could find resources if I sought them out, I'm assuming. But I didn't even know where to begin. Um, I would take him out for sushi because I'd be like, damn. I mean, I didn't discover sushi too much later so I'm like, okay, we need to get you acclimated to this much sooner. That would be it. Um, and what would I say to him? I would say to him, live your life. Everyone else will come around or they won't. But live your life. I spent so much time trying to people please even at that young age, which is crazy the amount, like people don't understand the amount of pressure that's on young people. Anyway, live your life. There's two choices. People will either come around or they won't. That's it. I love that. I love that. I'm so grateful for your time today and having your energy here. You've inspired me to um, go keep doing what I'm doing. How can people find you? Tell me how they can find you online and the best way to connect with you. So you can visit me at my website, which is www.overthetopliving.com. Um, there you'll get information on the programs, the services. You'll have my bio. You can do a submission form, and that literally goes directly to my cell phone. If you want to connect with me, you can email me at norman at overthetopliving.com. 
on Facebook, Norman J. Liverpool the Fourth, and on Instagram at the Mr. Liverpool. Perfect. And lastly, do you have, you know, there are a lot of millennials, especially there's a lot of POC queer com- community members in, in that younger age range that are, you know, it's a scary time that are struggling and that are trying to find their footing and trying to, you know, deal with the trauma that's in the news every day and, and all of the government fucking fuckery that's happening. You know, what, what words would you give them to kind of, uh, give them a little bit of hope right now in closing, you know, no pressure. Sorry. The, 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 what I would say is your power is in your voice and in your story, regardless of what that looks like, regardless of what's going on outside. We know that's all fucked up. Okay. It's all fucked up, but your power, That beautiful thing that makes you unique is already in there. And by focusing so much on the external things, we diminish what I call our unicorn power. So always remember, regardless of what's going on, is your power is in your voice. And if you don't believe me, get up and get in someone's face and yell at them and cuss them out. And tell, no, honestly, and tell me that what you're saying doesn't have power. So you, it's already in you. You just got to unleash it. Thank you again for your time. I'm so appreciative. And uh, I look forward to keeping connecting. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode and all the episodes. We hope You'll join and support us online in the Faces of Fortitude movement on Instagram at Faces of Fortitude, on Facebook at Faces of Fortitude Portraits, and you can find me personally on Twitter at Mariangela Abeo. If you'd like more information about the Faces movement or have an idea for a topic or person you'd like to see on the podcast, please email us at booking at facesoffortitude.com. Until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, basically continue fighting for the rights of black lives everywhere, especially black trans lives, and do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.